Hey moms, please keep in mind that I am not a mental health professional. This space is simply for creating conversations. If you are in crisis, please dial 988 for the National Crisis Hotline. If you are in danger, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. Now, let's talk. Hey everyone, thanks for coming to this week's um, podcast. I have the honor of talking to Nick Bowers. She was introduced to me through a mutual friend. We uh, we have a lot in common. We've we've chatted quite a bit, and we uh, experience being moms with mental illness and how we've navigated through that are very uh, parallel stories. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear from her today. Uh, You're going to learn a lot. I'm going to learn a lot. And we're just really going to have this hard conversation. So uh, Nick, thank you very much for being here. Um, I, you know, I just want to jump into it. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about you? Okay. Well, I'm going to actually tell you the mom part maybe first. I am a mom with um, two daughters now, (laughs) two daughters now, Um, one who is 22 and one that will be 21. So the 22 year old is on her own, living her best life. Um, We call it um, from Glenn Glenn and Doyle, like your most beautiful life. Yeah. Um, Get, you know, get, go do your most beautiful life. And then my youngest is still in college. She's also living her most beautiful life, chasing her dreams and and doing the work. So that's exciting. And I am in a new chapter of trying to build my most beautiful life. Um, and so here we are, but still momming. I love this part of being a mom because now we're starting to become friends, which mm-hmm. <laughs> took a long time, right? Or that was quite the road. So anyway, but I just, I'll go ahead and get started. Um, Actually, my girls and I are writing a book together about raising beautiful messes because um, I didn't have a good mom and um, it was really hard to become the mom I wanted to be. As much as I wanted to be the mom, um, you always went up here and you're here and you have no idea how to get here. So you fail forward until you figure it out but um so the beginning of the book is really about the power of a mom's love and and, you know I tell everyone that my mom did not love me and so many people are like oh come on Nick you know your your mom had to have loved you and I'm like no she told me every day that she didn't so I'm pretty sure um that she did not and um and I just thought that when I was a little girl that I could earn her love. And um, it was a game, you know, my, my mom and my brother would often um, gang up where my dad was always with, he was working, he worked long hours as an electrician and um, they would, they gang up, you know, and and they would tell me like I was adopted or that I, um, my name, my real name was like Elvira or they would hide stuff and then get really mad and then couldn't find it. And then I would be blamed. And I remember one day being a little girl that my mom couldn't find her hairbrush. And I remember it was the purple hairbrush because she would also get mad and hit me with it. 
So she thought that I had hid it from her own purpose. Now, our, our, our house is very disorganized. It was very messy. Um, and I understand now why, but um, she could not find her purple hairbrush. And she accused me of hiding it from her own purpose. And, you know, I was, I was like, when as soon as she couldn't find something, I was trying to find it because I knew what was going to happen. But that day she made me pack my clothes in the brown grocery bags. And I think I was like seven or eight. And it was raining out and I had to stand outside on the sidewalk with two grocery bags and my raincoat and wait for there's a children's home, an orphanage that was near our house. And she said she was going to call them to come get me. And I remember just standing there and the rain was coming down and my tears were too. And I was just like, um, what can I do? And then there's part of me that wanted them to come get me mm-hmm. because something had to be better than what I was going through. And um, and then I think, you know, time went by and she said, well, they don't want you either. So I guess you're just going to have to come inside. And so, you know, went inside and pretended like nothing happened. Um, so that was kind of like what I was dealing with as a young girl. And but still was like I still had happiness. Um, I don't know. I just I remember like my my life inside my head was very colorful. I would escape to my life. Now I know it's disassociation, but but back in the day, you know, I, I didn't know that. Um, and so I read a lot and I and I um I had this world in my head. And then a relative when I was around fourth grade, and when I was around fourth grade, my my hair was blonde earlier and so it got darker and I started, you know, developing um early as a young girl. And um a relative started touching me the way it just shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And it was often. And I remember the color just going out of my life. Like everything I saw was just gray from there on out. And I didn't get color back for a really long time. And when I say that, like mentally, it was gray. Everything was. And I didn't understand. And I thought it was my fault. And my mom caught them after about a year. In the basement of her house. And um, she said, this is your fault. You're a girl. This is your fault. And I remember standing there screaming, no, it wasn't. And she said, we will never talk about this again. And we didn't. Wow, I'm so sorry. And so you you put adult issues on a child. And then you say, you just have to forgive them. When they take your childhood, take your childhood, they take your innocence, they take everything from you. And people in your family that are supposed to love you say, just forgive them. It's done. Get over it. My brain completely changed. My brain completely changed at that point. But I tried to get over it. And um, as I grew older, 
I remember I was seventh grade and I was cutting myself because now I know as a person who does a lot with middle schoolers, you know, you have your, your emotions start going. So like all of that came up. So I started cutting because you need that pain to get out somehow. And that release where that pain leaves your heart and it goes to a place where you can see it. And I didn't really like cutting. So then I started burning myself because that was like, I'm not a blood person. <laughs> so I just started burning the inside of my thighs because I hated that area anyway. And um, yeah, and so I wrote about it and I carried my notebook around and I left it in art class one day. And my mom, found, um, they called my mom because of everything that was in my notebook. And she had it when I got home from school. And she said, she just started laughing. And she burned it. And um, stopped writing too. Didn't know how to get it out. So that kind of, you know, because I think what happens is when we're younger, we're told not to talk about it and we don't, and we bury it so deep and so deep into it. And we, you know, and I don't know all the psychology, <laughs> but you just, you try to pretend that you're a completely different person on the outside and on the inside, this pain eats at you. And over years and years and years, that pain's going to come out. And what I think I've learned in my lifetime is that there are two kinds of people. There are the people that have the pain and they dump it on others. I've done that. Or they take that pain and they inflict it on themselves. And there's a lot of dumpers out there. And there's a lot of people who inflict it. I tried dumping it, <laughs> it didn't work. Um, I always lost, you know, and so I started inflicting it on myself. I just did. And um, tried to be the good girl, earning the love from others and the approval. And um, yeah, so by the time I was a senior, I was anorexic and bulimic. I don't know. I just couldn't keep food down. And I had a scholarship to go to college. I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. I had a scholarship to go to college. I'd written, actually, I did write essays to get to college because everyone told me I would not make it to college because I was too much of a, um, I just wasn't smart enough. So I started writing essays and I got enough to go to college. And then, um, so my first semester, by the time I was there, like I went from like 160 pounds down to like 80. And I was pretty much like a, a skeleton in Nike sneakers. Like that's, that's what I was. My hair was falling out. My, um, I would shove toothbrushes down just to get anything out of my, out of my, um, stomach. I got a high from being empty. I got a high from being empty and, and working with um, women with eating disorders, everyone gets their high in a different place, but mine was from being empty. So it just, I had to get empty one way or the other. And I would steal laxatives. I would do whatever I could just to be empty, but then your body can't be empty. So then you'd eat and just anything had to come up. So I was in, I went to a hospital back in the like late 
early 90s, like late 80s, right? And that was so unheard of. Nikki was, Nick was crazy. We told you Nick was crazy. Nick was crazy. Wow. So, but this was my first rock bottom because my dad took me and he looked at me and he's like, Nick, I don't know what to do with you. You know, I don't know what to do with you. You're going to be dead before your birthday if you don't get help. And I knew that, but I have lived most of my life where I didn't want to die. My grandfather committed suicide when I was in eighth grade. I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live. So I feel like I lived dead. And I bet there's a lot of people out there who can relate to that. You don't really want to go through with the whole thing, but you really don't know how to live life without pain, without that hurt. So you live it in black and white. But I went to this hospital and it was, it was all these women that had eating disorders. And I remember like crying and screaming to my dad, like, please don't leave me here. Please don't leave me here. Please don't leave me here. And so I got my stuff in my room and I turned the corner and these women were there and they were laughing and they were smiling. And I had never seen or met a group of women that were so honest and real and raw and said exactly what they thought and owned all of their pain. And I felt like for once that I belonged. For the first time in my life, I felt like I belonged. And... Um, it was amazing. I met a woman, her name was Chris, and she had multiple personalities. And uh, I remember she would, she, one day we were on the couch in like the a common area. And she told me that she had been, her mom had tried to bury her alive. And then something had happened when she was, older with her five kids that that triggered that and then all of her personalities came out and uh she just owned every part of this right like she owned her shit she was like this is what happened to me this is who I am right now this is life and that was the first time I was like I want to be like her you know she has five kids and she's doing life with all these people in her head. And she's still like hopeful. She has hope. And so, um, yeah, so that's, I remember that conversation. That conversation changed my life. It did. Because I wanted to be, I wanted to own who I was and what happened to me. But when you tell someone that you're sexually, you've been sexually abused, automatically they go backwards. We don't talk about that anymore, right? Yeah. So I got out of the hospital and I went back to my house where I lived. Um, and my mom was still my mom. And so I lost like 15 pounds like right away. And in the hospital, they were like, 
tell your, you know, get those feelings out. So I did. <laughs> and I told her what I thought about her. And I called her a bitch. I was like, you are a, and I would, I mean, I was like the, the nice girl. Like I didn't do that. And I said, you are a fucking bitch. And she made me pack my stuff up or she, no, I got a garbage bag. She made me throw my clothes in a garbage bag and we didn't have keys to our house because we never locked our doors and she locked me out. And so once again, I, or the first time I was homeless with $30 in my pocket and I had my car, thank goodness, and no cell phones, right? Like, and that's where I started. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't think I'd been alive today if I was stayed there. So I think what's really interesting is there's so many times where we think, this is the worst, right? Like, but every time that that happens now, I'm like, Nick, you have trained for a time such as this and you fucking lived through it. So what are you going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. So I always have a pity party because um, I talk about like, my brain is in a constant, I can't prison because everyone said like, you can't, you can't. And so their words have become my words. That's really common. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, a friend of mine, her mom was like, you, you can stay here. You can stay here and until you figure it out. And how do you get out of, how do you get out of an I can't prison? How do you live a life that's not isolated and on your own and, and stuck? You know, what you have to do. You have to connect. You have to get it out. And you have to take action. You have to do something completely different. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is like, I have to be able to say to myself in that I can't prison. I have to be able to say, how can I do this? So those, instead of being a definitive statement, like I can't, I'll never going to, or I quit. It's like, be a problem solver. How can, let's change that into a possibility of how can I? Would it be possible to go back to school? I was making minimum wage, $3.35 an hour. I, I was not going to be able to live my life that way. I did not want to live my life that way, but I was going to have to pay for school, right? And the hospital bills that I, you know. And so I, I live my life with these three questions. How can I do this? Would this be possible? And what if you did? Instead of what if you didn't? So I started doing it and I worked myself three jobs and that my friends, they lived on a farm. So I milked and you had to take your turn milking. And I took time off and I put myself through college and got through. And I moved home because my mom got over it and I wanted my family. And um, so I was living at home and going to college. I didn't have that like typical dorm college. I couldn't afford that. So I just went to the local college and, and paid my way through. And, um, and um, I had a grandfather that I would stop by 
my mom would say like, you need to stop by and see your grandfather. So I stopped by on Saturday mornings before he got started drinking. And it was three days before I did my student teaching. And I stopped by and I should have known that something was off because he was downstairs and there was out, um, beer on the coffee table. But I went down and um, he grabbed me and started trying to touch me and put his tongue inside my mouth and and pinned me down and I did not want to be pinned down ever again. And um, I fought this time and I fought and I was stronger. And he got a certain way, mm -hmm. but he did not get all the way. But that was like, an, that brought everything back up again. You know, like all the things that weren't solved. Jesus. I told my therapist and she's like, I can't make this shit up. Where does this, where does this stuff come from? I mean, what makes someone want to do that to another person? I haven't figured that out. But I've learned that like, I can't put my brain into someone else's brain that does that to people. So I got away and I told my mom what happened. Can you guess what she said? Yeah. Yeah. Nick, it was your fault. You're a girl. I think what's really amazing is that now we are talking about mental health. We are talking about abuse. We're talking about all these things. But most women that are our age have put themselves back together without therapy, without medicine. Um, I didn't get medicine until I was after I had my children. Um, I, I'm actually, I, my, my biggest, um, my biggest, coping mechanism is I disassociate. So I am the queen of disassociation. I can zone out like you would not believe um, because I can just leave my body. It's how I survived. And I think I've lived most of my life not inside my body. Um, so between the anorexia and the bulimia and all the other things, I wasn't a, a, a woman who dreamt of being married and having kids. And I was told I actually wouldn't be able to have children. So my goal was always to actually grow up, have a little house with a dog and be by myself. Because by myself, I don't have to deal with anybody else touching me. I don't have to deal with anything like that. I became a teacher and I, you know, and my life slowly got got better. Um, and so this is how I did it. And I need to, to share this because I've sat beside women with eating disorders. And, and here is the thing I, every day I have to get out of the fucking, I can't prison. 
and I'm in bed and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. There's some days I stay in bed, but most days I'm like, how can you just take one step forward? Fucking Nikki, just take one step forward. But here's the thing. I had to unlearn and relearn. I had to unlearn all the things. And what is funny is that most people think, oh, you were in a hospital for 30 days. You're great. You're good. No, I have to undo all the shit that has been done to me. All the things that have been said to me, all the, all of the things that I think about myself. And let me tell you, I struggle looking in the mirror still to this day. I feel like the whore that I was called, right? Um, so you have to take these baby steps. So this is how I do life. I do the next thing and I choose one thing. So I got my teaching job. I was like, I have to start keeping food down like on the, the, on the regular. Instead of thinking I have to be completely healed, my goal was like, I'm gonna keep breakfast down. Okay, well, that's too big of a goal. So let's let's try keeping an apple down and not wanting to throw it up. That took me five weeks to not throw, like to be okay with eating an apple and being like, I'm okay, I, I don't have to throw that up. After an apple, we started with raisins. That's exactly how I recovered. I took one fear, one food at a time until I became easy with it. And I remember sitting at a bar when I was 38 years old and I ate ate a cheeseburger for the first time and said, I'm good with this. And I was like, I think I'm recovered from my eating disorder. So you think about that, that took 20 years, 20 years to not have that as my, my high, the thing that like comforted me. Right. So a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, she must be great. No, like inside my demons were saying every day, my demons and I go, go at least 10 rounds. Right in this corner, Nick with her red boxing gloves. And in this corner is the sexual abuse calling you a whore with the black gloves. Who's going to win today? So we became friends, right? And that's the thing that I, I think is like um, every person I see I know is, has a battle. Every person I see, I know has that inside. After that, my hospital. So how in the world did I get to have kids if I didn't want them, right? What the heck? I met a man. I met a man that was nice to me and made me believe what if and what is possible. And I loved him. And um, we got married within less than like a year. And I wasn't supposed to have kids and I was getting ready to get like a Mustang GT. It was my dream car. And I was like, you know, I haven't had a period in a while. And uh, I was pregnant. <laughs> I didn't get my Mustang GT instead. I got my amazing race. I think it's funny, I have two girls. <laughs> And I feel like, I'm not sure these days if I believe in God or not, but it was like, you're going to do this different? How are you going to do this different? What's it going to look like? I was scared as hell. And you know what my mom said? 
you're gonna be a horrible mother. I can't wait to see this. And I remember being pregnant, sitting in the bathtub and I had a dog, black lab. I remember just crying and going, she's right. I'm gonna be a bad mom. I don't like to be touched. And the dog was like sitting there going, oh my gosh, woman, all you do is cry. Um, and then I said, how can I change this? Is it possible to be a different kind of mom? And what if I am a different kind of mom? And um, so, you know, I had my baby and postpartum depression <laughs> that nobody talks about. Yeah, the baby blues. Yeah, right? And, um, mm, and I, yeah, yeah. So that was the first time I got medicine. And I felt so much shame around it because my mom had said so many things to me. But a friend of mine looked at me and she said, what are you going to do so that your kids are not in this place? What are you going to do, Nick? I'm going to take the fucking medicine. I'm going to take it every day. So I had two girls back to back because I didn't think I'd get pregnant again. So I had the second one. And then I, I was on medicine for at least 10 years, I think, 10 years, no therapy, just sucking it up. I didn't do any therapy after being in the hospital because I couldn't afford it and that wasn't the thing to do. And so the first nine years of my kid's life, I, I was thinking I was doing a good job but I wasn't. I was parenting for my mom's approval. And so I focused everything on the outside. I wanted her to see if they were well behaved and did whatever so that they were well behaved. You know, spanked the wrong kid, raged on them. So I'm on the outside looking in, I was a great mom. They could read, they did all the things and they looked at me with fear in their eyes. I was doing things different, but I was still doing things the same. And I became a middle school principal I'll never forget this. And this girl came was came into my my um my classroom or not my classroom my office, and she was she had been caught like in a way to bullying doing something to a kid. And her mom came in and her mom started calling her all kinds of names, and it like took me back. Now, think of the perfect storm that happened. My daughter. My oldest daughter, who looks just like me, was in fourth grade. I had been having like anxiety for a whole year, not even realizing what had like what it was. 
And that same day, I went to pick her up in fourth grade. She had had a, a beach party and we had somewhere to be. She had a beach party. She was completely soaked. And I went ballistic, ballistic in front of 25 kids and their parents. And I acted just like my mom. And, you know, what's really crazy is writing this book. I texted her and said, do you remember that? And she's like, I don't. And she said, mom, I, you're beating yourself up for things that you loved us more and better than what you, you think you did. And I still don't think that I did. But what I did after that, I realized that what was happening is it was at the same time I was sexually abused. My brother, my my kids were around my brother. My brother is was diagnosed like schizophrenic and bipolar and would not get in on any medicine. He was a drug addict and he had seven kids. Just a whole nother story. That is actually when I started to change my parenting. And I started getting help. And I started pulling out the stuff that was inside of me that was spilling over into everything that I did. And I, and what I did is I began to heal out loud to my girls. And it's a teaching skill. When we are teaching kids to understand reading, we stop and we think out loud of what we're thinking so that they can see how we're thinking, the thinking process. And so I thought, I wonder what would happen. What if I start thinking out loud and I start modeling really good thought, bad thought patterns and how I change my bad thought patterns to good thought patterns? Would I be able to give my girls the tools that I never had. And so I started doing that. And as they grew, my daughter was in seventh grade, my youngest. My husband had gone blind with a, an illness that they didn't know what was wrong with him. My dad had just died and I'd walked away from my family. My daughter crawls up beside me and she said, mom, hurting myself because the pain is just so big. And I said, honey, I understand. I understand. I'm going to get you help. And we are going to figure it out. And I think if any mom hears this, I think this is the key. When your kids get to be around middle school, it's not you need to be fixed. You're like, I've had so many people saying, you need to fix my kid, like my, my kid, my kid. No, 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 no. 
you're a parent, you need to go first. Mm -hmm. You need to go first. And number two, it's not them. It's us. We're a team. I'm not going to be beside you or behind you. And maybe a little bit in front if I have to pull you, but I'm going to be beside you. It's going to fucking suck. And it's going to suck, but I'm going to be hurting beside you. And we're going to figure it out. And with each child, with all of the things, with all of my things, I've been honest told them I've been abused. And so when I go off, <laughs> they'll be like, mom, we know that's not you. It's your anxiety come into play because I've walked them through it. Pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. So as I learned and I healed, instead of making an excuse or whatever, I'd be like, this is where I am ladies. Like I, I have anxiety. My anxiety comes out as anger. It's not about you. It's about me. I'm going to reset myself. It might take hours. It might take a day. I'm just going to be honest. But they watch this process over and over again. And so I went first. Then they started, right? Because they were in middle school. And then and then now, you know, they're on their own. And one's like, so we have this thing. It's like we have a pity party. And we're like, what are we doing with the pity party? How big is it? What do we need? Right? Chocolate, wine, whatever. And then we pull our big girl panties up and we get out of the I can't prison and we say, how can I, what is possible and what if? But my daughter's like, oh, mom, all this happened, right? She's like, I wish you could just fly here because we're, we're far away. She's like, but don't you worry. I'm going to have a pity party. And then I'm going to rise up. And I'm going to change, I'm going to change my attitude and I'm going to change. And then whatever she decided to change, she's going to take an action. So there have been many times where my life has been burned down by my own actions, the actions of others, right? And in the Bible, it says, you know, that God will give you beauty for ashes. And I've often watched people sit there and pray and be like, oh, God will heal me. No, it doesn't happen like that. And here again, I'm not sure what I believe anymore. But I've decided, and I decided back in the hospital, that I was going to take a fucking paintbrush. And I was going to take those ashes and I was going to paint beauty with those ashes. And I I've done it over and over again. And it's been a work in progress and a masterpiece all at the same time. So I'm 50 years old. And something happens to me that brings everything back. And it's a story I can't completely tell because I'm not the only person in it. But I had to get out of my marriage. And um, 
I had to get away. So I left everything. My beautiful life that everyone saw from the outside. Looking in, they saw this beautiful life again. And I lived in a 800 foot cottage, 800 square foot cottage. The girls called it the love shack because that's where I, I went to go find how to love myself for the first time in my whole life. And I remember laying on the floor in a ball, not being able to move, knowing that I was still living dead, not living, living dead, not wanting to be dead, not wanting to be alive. And I, and I remember I was like, you've been here before. You've trained for a time such as this sister, get up. Mm. Every touch, every comment, every touch, they're pushing me down and I seriously couldn't breathe. And I was like, I don't think, I don't think this is going to work anymore. I think, I, I, I think this is it. I never, maybe everyone's right. Maybe I am what they say I am. I was going to a childhood sexual abuse group. And so I was in therapy three times every two weeks. And I was living in this world of sexual abuse and getting it out. And I didn't, and I lost friends because they were like, Nikki, you, you're not there for us. I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? You can't put in words the pain you feel. And people have heaped their pain on me their entire lives and I've carried it. And when I was on the floor, this shit, I know, but I'm not carrying anyone's pain anymore. I'm not carrying my kids' pain. That's their job. I've shown them how to do it. I'm not carrying my mom's pain. I'm not trying to figure her out and, and fix her. I'm not carrying my husband's pain. I'm not carrying anyone's pain. And that is when I started to bring myself back to life. And um, I started making a list. And so I was laying on the floor and I think it was a whole day, maybe. I don't know. Like it was, it, I don't even know. Like it, I was kind of disassociated for sure. And I started making a list in my head of what makes me feel alive. My kids. And my life and my my ex-husband, 
That's who I'd lived for the last 20 years. I never really lived for myself. So my daughter said, Mom, you need to quit listening to sad songs. So I found a song. I was like, Walking on Sunshine. Maybe I should listen to that. Oh my gosh, that was too peppy. Holy shit, that was like too much, too much. <laughs> but I found a song that I started listening to. So one action, what action? That's all I could think of. It made me feel alive, alive enough to take one more step. And then I started making another list and it was blowing the biggest bubble that I could with hubba bubba, right? Like, like what I didn't get to be a kid. So what as a kid did I want to do? So I made lists. I don't know where it is. I keep it right beside me. Um, that's how I, I brought myself back to life slowly. So I found myself on a, taking a trapeze class and I called the girls and I was like, Hey, I, I joined the circus and I'm not sure if I'm the bearded trapeze lady because menopause, but I'm going to be up there. And um, the kids, the kids in my group, when I say kids, they were 30. They're like, you need to do, there's a circus show. You need to be in it. And I'm like, no, I'm too old. And my kids said, you need to be in the circus show. So I had a margarita one night and I'm, and I'm like, I'm going to buy a unitard because they said they're going to bedazzle unitards. Now, unitards should have an age limit on there, right? Like <laughs> after 35, no more. But I did. I got a red one, which was really racy for me. And I bedazzled it. And I got up. <laughs> and I was the first person to go up on this show because I was the biggest beginner and the second person was a second grader. So you can imagine how great I, I, I was, you know, feeling. I climb up there and the trapeze is so much like recovery or life. I'm standing with my toes on the edge and you have to hold it, but then you have to jump and you have to trust your strength in your arms as you swing through the air. And then to have a life where you're fully alive, you do your little trick. And then the guy says, huh! and you let go and you have to let him catch you. So not only do you have to trust yourself, but you have to trust other people too. Yeah. And when I landed and I bowed and I was so red, my, my face matched my unitard because I don't like to be up like that. I remember like going, I fucking survived. And this is my most beautiful life. And that's where I am. It's been two years or a year since then. Wow. And I think I'm living in color, finally, for the last, maybe for another 50 years. <laughs> that is, that is beautiful. What I, what I love from the entire story out of, out of all of it, all of it was, uh, 
when you said that you weren't going to carry your children's pain because you taught them how to carry their own. I think that's so profound because we, you know, being a mom with mental illness myself, I was carrying their pain or I was putting my pain on them. So they weren't just carrying, like it was, it was it's not, it was, yeah, it was, it was a nasty mess. It is. And when you, when you learn to, to, you can carry your own pain until it's time to put it down, but you can't, you can't juggle everybody's pain. And what's so important and so beautiful in talking to you these last few weeks is how much time you've put into to to explaining and teaching and showing your children that they can do better and be better and you were brutally honest with them about why maybe you weren't better yeah um and the fact that you are i I love glennon doyle i was actually listening to her i've listened all day long i was trying to catch up on her podcast it's we can do hard things it's so good yeah um, but it's, uh, it's so beautiful to, no matter what age you are, like everybody says that, like when you turn 40, like you start going downhill. Are you kidding me? I love being 40. It's so much better than being 30. Yes. And I'm so excited to see what I'm going to learn about myself in the next 10 years. And what's going to, how am I going to feel when I turn 50? Oh girl, you're going to rock it. I, I, mean, I- I'm doing, I'm doing the hard things. I'm working on the things I'm, I'm confronting the the past. I'm confronting um, my mistakes. I'm confronting the mistakes that were made toward me. Right. Um, and the, I can't prison. It is truly, honestly, one of my biggest pet peeves. And it sounds terrible, but, you know, to explain it is, when somebody went to mental illness says, I can't because, and that drives me crazy because you, you can Mm -hmm. because, right. Right. It's harder, you know, living with bipolar disorder. There are some things that are harder having anxiety. There are things that are harder having ADHD, man, it's a superpower. Some things are harder. And I never say I can't because of my mental illness. Now, I have said things like I can't cause my back hurts and my husband has to say change your words. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I get it. There are, there are things that you're limited to but but the living in the living in the pity party, staying in the pity party. I can't. I can't. I can't. Yep. is just not true. And so many people don't realize that you're depressed. I can't get out of bed. Oh shit. Yes, you can. It's just going to be really, really, really hard to do it. Absolutely. But you can. I think it's not like in it because I've been there, right? Like I've, I've not gotten out of bed. Let's just be like, you know, it's not like, you know, when I fast forward through this, you know, you have to look at this 30 year time span, right. Of, of depression and anxiety and depression and anxiety and depression and anxiety. And when I'm good, I'm good. But when I'm bad, I'm bad, you know? Yeah. But it's not that I can't, it's that I won't. Yes. And you know what? You can stay in bed. That that's yeah. the thing is that's a choice. Today, today I can stay in bed. Yeah. But it's never that I can't do something. And it's and it, like and if anyone's listening to this, just one thing. One thing to like celebrate, right? And so I say this to my daughters all the time. 
just one thing to celebrate. So if you get up out of bed and you get yourself a cup of coffee, yay you, you got out of bed, right? Like that's the small things I celebrate in life. If I get, I love my coffee in the morning. I, you know, like that's something that's small matters to me when I've lived a lot of my life feeling like I don't matter and the things that I do didn't matter and all of that. So all the small things matter now. Yeah. I like to because say, all the small things make a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like to say that small steps lead to long journeys. Absolutely. And it is just a small step, you know, in, in my deepest depressive episodes, oh, for crying out loud, just getting up to go pee. Like how hard was that? Right. Like you haven't had anything to drink in three days. How could you have to pee? <laughs> and, and honestly, you out of you the- sat there going, "What? It's just gonna be. I have to get up because it's gonna be even more work if I just sit, if I just pee my pants right now because like yeah. that's even <laughs> yeah. So what's what's worse? But even just the you know on, on the deepest darkest days, get up to pee, and it stays. You know, like hey, um, yeah, I've been in bed for three days. I think I need to brush my teeth you know, and it's, it's where you're at. It's where you're mm-hmm. at is where you are and that's okay, but you can't see, I just use the word can't. <laughs> it's not an, I can't, it's just a, like you said, how, yeah. What if I love those three like questions. It's like, how can I, is it possible? And what if, and I've lived my whole life on what if to get me out of my depression because what if you didn't stay in bed? What if you did get up? Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel that so deeply. It's, it's, uh, I've got, I've got children with mental illnesses because not only is it nature, but it was also being nurtured by a mother with a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I talked to them about those things a lot. The, mm-hmm. I can't, you, you can and it's uh, it's so much about teaching your children, isn't it? Like, yes, it's not hiding from it. Not don't don't hide the yucky. No. But it's about teaching your children how to live through it. Because if they're also depressed, mom says, if I just get up and brush my teeth, I've succeeded today. What if I get up and get a cup of coffee? then I get to have a cup of coffee today. You know, what's interesting is because writing this book and, and seeing the responses and thinking I, I'm a little obsessive, right? I, I have a lot of things going on, but um, to hear them go, like, I think one my oldest, who's not as um, sensitive as the younger one and myself, she was like, my mom was always beating herself up. And she never had to, like, I saw she was trying to be something that she wasn't. And she didn't have to be anything but herself. And I was like, right? I think we, because when we are struggling, we think that we're doing so much harm. Mm-hmm. And so then that guilt, we hope we carry that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm trying to let that guilt go because... That's that's holding me down from loving and experiencing my kids in life. But um, I think that mom guilt is a real thing. But like when you have a mental illness and you 
it's even more because I'm, I'm really fucking them up, right? Mm-hmm. But life fucks them up. <laughs> I mean, I I just want them to have the tools to be able to problem solve through their brain to get where they need to be. Yeah, and those tools are so important. There's so many things. I was talking to a woman earlier and they were talking about like having the tools in the toolbox and you can't, if there's so much to it, like you can get a box from Ikea with no labels and no instructions and you're told put it together and you literally have two hands. You don't have the tools, right? So you go get the tools, you get the instruction manual, you do research, right? Right. And when, you, when you have that tool, then you can hand it to your child and say, hey, look at what this tool can do. Absolutely. And I think our generation is doing that right now. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it needs to be recognized and celebrated because we are handing it off. These kids, because I work with kids, I see what we're doing. And we're doing really great things. That these kids are not carrying as much as what we carry. And I think that needs to be celebrated and recognized as well because we are doing the work. Mm-hmm. The generation before us didn't and they're not going to, but we are breaking cycles and that's, it's hard. And then our kids have tools and they're going to pass, like, it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. We just have to, you know, we have to like be visionary and look, look towards that as well. Yeah. I I find that so interesting. So my mother was an amazing mother. She she is an amazing mother. I, I couldn't have asked for a better one. But as I'm learning about my mental illnesses and my mental health, and I'm going through these things and uh, she's like, huh, I think you got that from me. I'm like, oh, no kidding. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Right? So not only am I teaching my children, I'm teaching my mom about mental health and mental illness, like ADHD. I was just a bratty kid that, you know, I was restless and talked a lot and I just needed to hold still. And I got my hand slapped in in school. And it was just like, (laughs) no mom, that's, that's ADHD or the anxiety. She had no idea she had this anxiety. She was always so strong. She just did it until my dad died. And then the PTSD um, brought the anxiety up so hard. She's like, she was in the, I can't, right. Mm-hmm. She had no idea there was a word for it. She had no idea. Right. So I got to teach her about anxiety. And she was willing to learn. She, she's learned, she calls me, she calls me and we, she calls him Dave days. My dad's name was Dave. And she said, I'm having a day, a Dave day. Um, I love that. She's just owning it, right? Like yeah, instead she of like, she owns it and she yeah. calls me and we talk through it and she's like, I have to make a phone call. I'm like, okay, well, do you want me to come over and sit with you while you make your phone call? You know, she just has yeah. days, days. And so it is, it is, I'm, I'm very blessed in having somebody generationally before me who is willing. Now her mom, when I was on medication, when I was a teenager, well, I blah, 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 blah. And I never blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like, woman, you guys straight up had, you, you, you had cigarettes and drank. Call it Valium, right? <laughs> you had your cocktails at five o'clock every day. Like, don't tell me you didn't. There's just different right. words for it then. You know, yeah. the baby blues or postpartum, like they they were there. So my grandmother was not willing to look at anything. I was I was broken and I should have just been okay. Sucked it up. Yeah. And that's how they taught, you know, my mom. But my mom in the last 20 years watching me and my struggles 
she has been willing to learn along with me. And it's so beautiful because my children are also learning and it feels like a lot to carry that it's on me, but it's so wonderful that my family is willing to go through it all together. I just feel so blessed. Okay. So, so like, here's the thing. And I say this all the time, if I'm working like with adults or kids, growing people grow people. Mm. So, so you are growing, right? And so it's not about really the destination because you're never going to get to a destination. It's just not going to happen. So it's celebrating that growth. So you are growing and look at the impact. Because sometimes like, right, you, you, you probably get caught up in your, what you didn't do or did whatever. Mm-hmm. But now look at like all of that, that you are painting beauty with ashes. Yeah. You're having impact on two generations and, you know, a third. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to watch the children of mine that do decide to have children and how they're going to learn from what um, they experienced growing up with with a mentally ill mom and having mental illnesses of their own and how Mm -hmm. to navigate that and how to paint beauty with ashes and live what is it live their most beautiful life yeah when I was going through all this um with Glennon Doyle um I would read parts of like what was her book untamed Mm. it was like my locker room top like I would just be like if I was down but I read some of it to my girls because of you know and it was about the cheetah mm-hmm. and so there would be times where I would get a, a text from one of my girls that says mom just remember you're a goddamn cheetah <laughs> like, you know like I'm not in this alone and I think that's the beauty of having two girls and I'm, like I didn't want kids and gosh, I've we've created something amazing so in the beauty with ashes but yeah I can't wait to see if you know I don't know if they're gonna have kids or not but um we'll see we'll see so real quick plug have you read her wife's book no Wolfpack. it's very short <gasps> but I listen, so no, I, I listened to it on a podcast where it was like a it was like chunks of her chapters or something yeah Go so ahead. what's so cool is she she talks about how she had to step back from being the main player right the the team captain right um and she was watching these younger women come up and she passes the ball and the other player makes the makes the shot right like makes the goal soccer I don't know and she points at her right you point and if you're not pointing at those women in your life like where are you like you need to you need to celebrate the successes of other women um I'm I'm an avid Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambaugh fan like have you done their journal the untamed journal no get it I recommend that to anybody who's who's on a little journey of their own um no matter where they're at in life I was actually part of a group we all did it together and we were all in completely different stages of our lives and uh it's part of that toolbox right I I picked up that little journal and I put it in my toolbox and yeah. I learned. And with that growth, I love that you said that with that growth, I was able to show it to others. So their growth helped my growth, helps my children's growth, helps my mom's growth and they helping others. It's beautiful. And that connection, right? Like that's in a world that's so disconnected, but connected connection is what we crave. Yeah. And the connection is what matters. 
-hmm. So just think of all the people you're connected to, you know, I don't know. I, I just, it's exciting. I I'm looking forward like you, I'm looking forward. And, and I told my girls, um, I was in Montana, hunt, not hunting, my gosh, hiking. And there's a grizzly bear on the trail. And I thought if I were to die today with the grizzly bear, <laughs> I'd really be okay. Cause I've lived my, I've lived the last four years in a way that I never would have imagined, but I really want to live another 50. <laughs> so, so we'll see like what happens. But um, I told my girls, I was like, at the end of every day now, at this point in time in my life, I want to be like, if this is my last day, I want it to, to be like, I've done it. And I feel like I have. So that's the goal for the next 50 or whatever I'm given. So that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, Nick, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your story. I can see how hard it is to talk about, but how unbelievably necessary it is to talk about. You touched on uh, many things, many, many things, mental illness, sexual abuse, um, having an abusive parent, all of it, right? That, that it just, it was a perfect storm that could have drug you down into the depths of absolute nothing. And it sounds like you were pretty close, but oh, you pulled yeah, yourself out. You did the work, you did the hard things. And it's so so beautiful and I mean I don't not to sound condescending but like you truly should be so proud of yourself you truly truly should be so proud of yourself and I I hope that you are and I hope that your your children are proud of you and I hope that you know just the people around you can feel the love and light from you because I can feel it and we haven't even met in person (laughs) Thank you. I'm working on being proud of myself. To be honest with you, it's fairly hard and people have to remind me, but I know my kids are, and you know, it's just a, it's a struggle to undo the, to undo, but I'm working on that. Unfuck yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I want to try to keep it PG. The teacher in me is like, should I keep it PG or should I not? (laughs) We we drop them sometimes here. Okay. I remember when my kids were younger, I was like, you know what? There's words that cannot describe and the only word that feels good is fuck and they're like and they know it so yeah it is what it is but my son dropped a dropped a heavy piece of metal on his foot he was 12 and he looked at me and you could see in his face he's like and I said just say it (laughs) and he screamed it and I'm like better and he's like a little bit it is isn't it amazing sometimes they're just and it, it could be coffee cup whatever your word is say your word but. absolutely absolutely and i've changed my words throughout the, the years but um at, at the dark times like sometimes that's just it is what it is and i remember telling young i've worked with some young girls mentored them that have been sexually abused and and they're like afraid i'm like let it out however you have to let it out get it out and if it's healthy it doesn't hurt anyone don't hurt yourself don't hurt someone else mm-hmm. and screaming the f word or punching a pillow does not hurt anyone nope nope awesome. throwing a ball you know yeah anyway we could probably talk for hours oh we could we're gonna talk again this is okay a beautiful friendship so, um <laughs> thank you so I much it. i appreciate you um everybody again thank you for being here today i hope that you 
were really moved and touched. I know I was. And if you can relate to anything here, um, I encourage you to have those hard conversations in a safe space with someone who is safe. Uh, that's really, really important. So uh, thank you very much. And we will see you guys all next time. Hey moms, just to remember that I am not a mental health professional. This space is just for creating conversations. If you are in crisis, please call the National Crisis Hotline at 988. If you are in danger, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. Talk to you soon.